Hi, a quick note before we start. If you have young listeners with you, please be advised that this podcast contains strong language. Also, it's serialized, so if you're just joining in here, you should go back and start at episode one of season three. Okay, let's start the show. I died last year. That's a weird segue, right? Yeah. <laughs> I did, I died May 3rd, last year, May 3rd, I was in Philly. Jason Weems is performing at a restaurant called Ragtime in Arlington, Virginia. It has a man cave vibe. There's a saxophone nailed to the wall. The stage has a ratty blue velvet curtain. This is a place where Jason can have 45 minutes to try out jokes on people. And tonight is one of the first times he's testing out jokes about his death. <laughs> I feel like 50 cent now, man. I feel like I mean, 50 got shot nine times. I died of an asthma attack. Pretty much the same thing. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna name my first album "Get Nebulized" or "Die Trying." Um, <laughs> thank you. I did not think that 50 Cent joke was gonna go so well in front of a room full of white folks and all of them. Okay, you never know. <laughs> Comedians need to test out their material on a real audience. They can't just write a joke on paper and expect it to work right away. Here, Jason can see what lands, what doesn't, or if a bit needs tweaking. Oh, I'm thinking about suing the woman who saved me. But she saved me too rough. I don't like the way she saved me. She fucked my ribs up. Like she saved me like she was trying to kill me. I thought that was going to do better. All right. <laughs> Not all of his death material is going over. The crowd isn't laughing at Jason's jokes about Lauren Fox, the physician's assistant who saved Jason's life at the club in Philly. So there's still work to be done. Because Jason wants to do more than just sprinkle a few jokes about dying into his regular set. I'm always building new hours. It's always a new hour in progress. I would love to kind of build a special around, you know, this incident. Because it's such a unique experience. As comics, you're always looking for something to separate you from the pack. So if you come out and you tell somebody that you died, as a comic, I think this is when you really kind of see what you're made of. So now I got to tell people what that's all about. And then I got to do it in my own special Jason Weems way. This is uh, cathartic for me. I haven't really talked about this too much on stage yet. I gotta get it right, though, because there's no other comic that fucking died from an asthma attack in Philly and turned blue. <laughs> this shit gonna make me famous. <laughs> it has to be done. I don't even have a choice of if I can do this material or not. Like, this is what I was made to do. Take shitty stuff and put some honey on top of it. <laughs> you guys are on the ground level. You guys are gonna be able to... When, you, when this shit is on HBO, you can be like, I was at Rag Time the night he told that. I'm Talia Bukasis, and this is First Day Back, a documentary podcast about trying to get your life back after an event that changes you. Jokes about death are a hard sell for any audience. They've come to laugh. And who wants to laugh about dying? A few months ago, Jason had an eerie preview of how uncomfortable that could be. An old school friend emailed him asking him to do a comedy set at her father's funeral. And 
my initial gut reaction was, hell no. He asked his wife, Dion, and she said, if anyone can do it, you can. So he took this bizarre gig. And then the pastor got back up. He said, is there Jason Weems in attendance? And I was like, right here. Yes, sir. So then I get up. I'm walking up the center aisle of this church. People are in all black, crying, turning their heads, looking at me as I walk past. And it's such a long walk up to the front of the church. I start clapping for myself. I say, all right, guys, you guys don't know who I am. I'm going to go here. I'm going to get this microphone. I'm going to talk to you guys for a little bit. And I grab the mic. I perform literally right in front of the casket. And the family's sitting on that front pew. And within the first 30 seconds, I mean, that church, the laughter, I mean, exploded. Nothing is off limits for Jason. He almost sees it as a challenge. Can I make a joke about anything? Life and death and the more mundane stuff. It's all up for grabs. His kid messes up the lyrics of a Jay-Z song. That could be a joke. His monthly Verizon statement has a typo. That could be a joke. And he writes down every single idea, whether it's scribbling notes down on a napkin or typing keywords into his phone while driving. Don't kill me. Oh, you're fine. Okay. I'm just typing down this idea of this joke. <laughs> I can it happens it. anytime. I'm serious. <laughs> okay. It's ingrained in me. So you do, you'll type on your phone when you're driving? Uh-huh. If it's a joke that I think is worth holding on to. I could type it for you next time. Okay. <laughs> Before his phone, Jason used Post-it notes. They were handy since he could throw a pad of Post-its into any pocket. He told me he has saved every last one of these notes, and he's got them all in plastic bags and boxes. I was like, what? It sounded like an archive of his prolific comic mind. I had to go see. He took me to one of those huge storage facilities with the orange garage doors. This is my unit, 1028. This is prime real estate. In order to get on the first floor, you got to bribe somebody. Who'd you bribe? A guy named Tony. <laughs> You're catching the elevator as hell. I feel like I'm on an episode of Storage Wars. Right? Mm-hmm. Inside, it looks like every storage locker, jammed with bags of old clothes, a couch, stacks and stacks of boxes. Jason opens one box, and it's filled to the top with these Ziploc bags, each crammed with yellow Post-it notes. Oh, wow. You have Ziploc bag after Ziploc bag after Ziploc bag. This is really in code. Look at this. It is code. Mm-hmm. Well, it's code because look at this one. Go walk your hair. Shrimp plates, $1.99. Don't trust it. Cut it out. Golden shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's no. I know. I'm just waiting for you to come across something that you understand what it means. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep looking. <laughs> and I hate the idea that it might be some great jokes sitting here. And I just didn't have the chance to try them. Yeah. So I try everything or as much as I can. And then I used to, like, when, before kids, I used to go, I was literally on stage seven nights a week. Um, I would leave school, drive to a show, do two shows, come back, sleep for a few hours, do the whole thing over again. When did you make the decision to be the more, like, Mr. Mom t- kind of guy? Um, I always wanted to be that. Like, before I even got married, I always used to say, 
I'm going to stay home with my kids, you know, take them to school, so on and so forth, and then tell jokes at night. Like, that was always in my head. Jason and Dion had planned on having two kids. When their son Sean was two, Dion got pregnant again. Jason has a joke about what happened at the ultrasound appointment. And the doctor's like, uh, do you see what I see? And I'm like, it depends on what you see. And she's like, there's two of them. I'm like, what? Arms, legs? And then I'm like, you hear that baby? He got two legs. And she's like, no, sir, they're two heartbeats. I'm like, oh, word. You hear that baby? He got two hearts. Just in case one heart go bad, other one gonna kick right in like a backup sump pump. So then the crowd laughs at that. Then I'm like, you know, then she says, no, sir, they're two babies. And I'm like, my wife freaks out and starts grabbing air, which is never a good sign. <laughs> I remember driving home from the doctor's office and it was just like eerily quiet in the car. My parents were watching my oldest son. They're excited. So we, we come to the door, they're like, so what's it gonna be? And my wife walks straight past them, doesn't say a word. And then I kind of have to take them into the living room and like whisper to them. For Dion, it was a crisis. I was like, fuck, I was so angry. Like, what do we want to do with three children? Like, I was whore, I was so mad. I didn't talk for the first five months of the pregnancy. I came home, I ate what I could, I didn't talk to Jason, I could barely look at Sean. Every time I saw Sean, I would break down crying. I had even contemplated not having these children. So imagine sitting with your husband, telling your husband, I don't think I can carry this life we've created, and I I can't. And for him to look at me, and the first thing that he said, baby, I want you to know we can do this. But now they're here, and they're four, and, like, you, the time goes so fast, like, I can barely remember how we even got to this point. Jason spends a lot of time with his kids. He does the logistics, like driving them to and from school, but he's also the dad who knows all the words to the Backyardigan songs, or who'll stay up late to make a Jesse Owens costume for Sean, or who deals with little boy emergencies that pop up in the car. We keep a Gatorade bottle under the seat so we have to pee in emergencies. Look at me. Because you knew you had to go to the bathroom while we were standing there. You're taking stuff, boy. Look, and you better not pee on me. You hear me? Don't pee on me. Go. This is what my life has been reduced to. Holding someone's penis in a Gatorade bottle. (laughs) Telling them don't (laughs) on me. (laughs) I used to be a man. (laughs) The kids are so close in age that they get mistaken for triplets a lot. Once you really look at them, Sean is clearly the oldest. He was named after Jay-Z and has some of the same swagger. Emery and Liam are the twins. Emery is a wisp of a guy. And Liam is built solid, with Jason's big eyes and a bit of a speech delay. Jason is like the boys' team captain. Every single day when they leave the house, they have this ritual. They huddle around and put their hands in the middle of a circle. Superhero style. Hands in. I'm smart. I'm smart. I'm strong. 
Nobody's better than me. I'm the best. Team Wings. And the boys need a captain, especially one of the twins, Liam, who was born with bad asthma, like Jason. You team Liam? Are you by yourself? You left, you left the group? You went solo? Liam's asthma is so serious that lately he's been having three to four attacks a day. It affects the whole family, and the stress of it is always playing at the back of Jason's mind. He had lots of attacks during the school year, so you're mentally preparing yourself for that. Like, okay, I'm going to have to make sure I never go beyond 20 minutes of the school. So you're thinking about that all the time. Right. So it's like, you know, if I've got to go shopping, I'm going to this store because I know I can get back to the school quickly if he has an attack. So it almost kind of paralyzes you in the sense of, like, it would be like comedians who would hit me up and say, hey, you want to do my podcast? You know, we can do it in the morning. So so I'm like, I can't. I don't want to come, you know, an hour away when I get that call and they say Liam's having an attack and now I can't get back quick enough. pressure of being close to home is one reason Jason has stayed in Baltimore. But he wants more than being a well-known local comedian. He wants national fame. He wants comedy greatness, like Dave Chappelle-level greatness. And he wants this new comedy special with the death material to get him there. More after the break. There are so many podcasts out there, it can be hard to sort through the noise and find one you love. I want to recommend one of my favorites, Reveal, from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I listen to the show for its in-depth reporting of important stories where often I've heard a bit about it, but I want to know what's really going on. For example, in their episode Silencing Science, Reveal exposed how officials at the National Park Service tried to censor a climate scientist one who'd been hired to research 100 national parks and how climate change could cause future flooding. But after the Trump administration took over, the researcher was pressured to delete references to humans causing climate change. Facts matter, today more than ever. Every week, Reveal digs super deep to uncover corruption, deception, malfeasance, inequality. And year after year, Reveal wins many of the biggest awards in journalism. And the sound is transportive. For some of the best reporting out there, check out Reveal on iTunes, Radio Public, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Learn more at revealnews.org. Jason recorded his first comedy special a few years ago. It was a tiny production in a black box theater, and there was a problem with the sound recording. I mean, listen to this. You can barely understand what he's saying. I hear Aaron come off some thug stuff. Come on today. This is my show. He still sells DVDs to his fans from the back of his car, but it hasn't done anything for him career-wise. For this new special, he's going to hire a professional crew to film it at a historic Baltimore theater called Center Stage. One night on the way home from a show, he drove me to see it. Every time I drive past here, I get the get the heat, the willies. It feels like a surge of energy, like because I know what's coming. So that's, this is it here. 
nice. Is it a big thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it is dope. It is good. Oh, it's beautiful. This looks like a beautiful. I mean, it looks um, new. The building has one of those vertical marquees with light bulbs in each letter. I didn't expect to be able to tell anything from the outside of a building. But this is grand and reminds me of Radio City Music Hall. Jason does this drive-by often, sometimes twice a week. Older theater is down on this floor, and the one where I'm filming is upstairs. This is where he'll shoot the special and then hopefully sell it to HBO or Netflix. That's not the normal way to do these kinds of things. Most comedians have a manager or an agent who would broker a deal with the network. But Jason sees himself like a Chappelle or Jay-Z, entertainment giants who are so talented that they've made up their own rules. I do. Uh-huh. It's when I drive past there. It's always after a show. So, you know, I've got thoughts in my head about the night and jokes floating around. And then I see that and it's like, yeah, that's what I'm working towards. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing this for. Because I'll be dead tired and then I'll see that and I'll get wide awake. Like, ooh, they don't even know it's about to hit them. <laughs> They're going to love me. This theater is a beacon telling him he can do this. On days when the death jokes aren't going over so well, or when he's worn out from being with the kids and doesn't feel like driving the two hours to a show, he reminds himself of this place. He's going to do something that feels almost impossible right now. He's going to fill up this theater with people and make them all laugh about something they never thought they could laugh about. And he's going to do it from Baltimore. Baltimore feels like a tough place to launch a big-time career. Is that something people do? I took the question to Jeff Singer. I mean, listen, if you just want to, you know, cut your teeth and become a better comedian, there are cities outside of New York and L.A. that you can do that. Jeff is the talent scout who booked Jason at the New Faces Showcase in Montreal. He's been in the industry for years. Ultimately, though, you want to go to the big leagues. I don't know what Jason's game plan is, Hmm. but... If he really wants to get to the next level, he's got to move to New York or L.A. It's that plain and simple. And, you know, you want to film a special and get on, whether it's Comedy Central or or Netflix or HBO or Hulu or the other platforms that are doing it. You know, it's very, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very difficult to do it if you're, you know, living in a smaller city like Baltimore. Jason thinks of himself differently. He hears this advice and thinks, okay, that might be fine for someone else. But he's not some regular comedian. The special's going to sell. The special's going to sell. The special's going to do great. More specials will come. Late night opportunities will come. Everything that I've thought was going to happen in comedy is going to happen in comedy. It's crystal clear to me. Like, I, I know it's there. I wish I could somehow, like, physically show you what I feel. I was going to say, describe how... I guess you can't describe that feeling. It's, uh, it's absolute certainty. It's, uh, it's a feeling of, I just know it. I know it the same way I know every inch of my children's face. Like when you're a parent, like you spend time staring at your kids, trying to see yourself trying to see your spouse 
and I've looked at them so long. Sometimes I'll be laying in bed, they're playing their tablets, I'm just staring at them. And I know every little inch of their face. I know that comedy will be successful in the way that most people describe success. I know that will be coming too. Spending time with Jason, he never wavers from this belief in himself. Success is just around the corner. It's his way of willing it into reality. If he just believes it hard enough, it will be true. It's infectious. When I'm with him, I believe it too. One day, Dion hears that Jason's hero, Dave Chappelle, is going to be in Baltimore. He's doing an exclusive meet-and-greet at a politician's mansion. Dion does marketing in Baltimore and knows most of the politicians in the city. She works her contacts to get them in. Jason has been trying to meet Dave Chappelle for years, but they don't even know if they'll be able to talk to him. So Jason writes him a card, in case that's all he has time for. When Jason and Dion arrive, they have to check their phones at the door. And then they go in, fingers crossed. We're standing there talking, and I see Chappelle walk in the front door. I go say hello to his publicist, Carla. So Chappelle's literally, at this point, maybe 10 feet from me. Dion has the card in her bag. So I asked, I was like, can I get it? So I grab it in my hand. She said, so she's like, oh my God, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go talk to him. So... It's literally like six or seven people just kind of like circling him. And uh, he's locked in a conversation with somebody. And it's one of these times where you know if you don't just jump in, there's never going to be a moment. So I wait for literally just a break in whoever was talking to him. As soon as they pause for a second, I grabbed him by his shoulder. He turns around. And I just started talking to him. I said, how you doing, Dave? My name is Jason Williams. I'm a comic based in Baltimore. Um, I just got to know everybody in this party's trying to talk to you, but I have something for you. If you get a quiet moment tonight after your show, when you're traveling back to Ohio, whenever, if you could read this, like really read it, I was like, it would mean the world to me. Jason has typed out his life story in a tiny font onto three pieces of paper. It's hard to fit in the card, so he's cut it into sections and pasted it on the inside and back. He's name-dropped the DC Improv where they both worked, and friends who are comics, in the hopes of making any possible connection with Chappelle. So he looked at me like we locked eyes, and he was like, I absolutely will. I absolutely will. He was like, you have my word. And I was like, you know, uh, I've been doing stand-up for, you know, 12 years now, or close to 12 years. He laughs, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's the fun part. That's the good part. So after maybe like a minute in, it didn't even feel like I was talking to Chappelle. It felt like I was just talking to like a guy who we have mutual friends. And then I told him briefly about the death experience. I told him, you know, last year in Philly, I had this asthma episode on stage. You know, I died and his eyes are like wide open. He's like, are oh, you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm serious. So then as I'm telling him this whole thing about dying, he turns to me and he says, well, how'd the rest of the set go? Uh, <laughs> so at that point, me and him, we both like bust out laughing. And he fell into me and grabbed on me. So we're both laughing like crazy. Dion is standing off to the side, watching this moment that's like a dream. Only she knows what this means to Jason. It feels to her like time has stopped. You could hear a pin drop 
in that place. Everyone's looking. And I'm trying to hold it together because I'm like, okay, this is this is Jason's moment. I don't just, I'm trying my best to be present. And at the same time, I'm trying my best not to curse that I can't have my fucking phone so that I can record this so that the world can see it too. I was like, oh. And all these people in suits uh, around us. On the, it felt like it was our party and they were on the perimeter. So as soon as the laughter died, I turned back to him and I was like, I was killing until I died. And then he laughed even harder. So he's falling backwards, grabbing his leg, wiping his eye. It's better than Jason had even pictured in his mind. He's making his comedy idol laugh. And then someone interrupts. So we hugged again. He wished me, you know, best of luck and turned to me again. He was like, I'm definitely going to, you know, check this out. And, uh... We, I walked off. So, I mean, it was probably in total, maybe four or five minutes. I asked Jason what he wrote in the card he gave Chappelle. Hi, Dave. The fact that you may actually be reading this is beyond me. I'm a stand-up comedian as well, and I've often heard audience members say they hear pieces of you in my voice. How could they not? You've influenced an entire generation of stand-ups. You are my prior. You have created such lasting memories and moments over the years for me. And the longer I do stand up, approaching 12 years, the closer I feel to you. In a comedy world where it's all about likes, retweets, and shares, it's refreshing to see someone doing it on the highest level possible and on their own terms. I love the freedom you've built your career on, and I strive to do the same. I don't just want to be seen, I want to be felt. Keep on shining without trying to shine. Real stars glow no matter what. Happy early Father's Day. We've got three little ones as well, all boys. Hope to work together in the future. Thank you for the blueprint. With deepest respect and thanks, Jason Weems. And then the kicker. P.S. This is a long shot, but so was attending an intimate dinner with you at a $2 million home. All of that being said, I'd like to personally invite you to the filming of my next special entitled Unknown here in Baltimore on Saturday, December 1st, 2018, being held at Center Stage that we're trying to sell to Netflix HBO. We'll fly you out, put you up, and handle everything in between. Your presence will be a gift. Calling the special unknown is a reference to the hospital bracelet Jason was tagged with in Philly. But it's also a nod to the fact that he's been in comedy a while, and he still isn't where he wants to be. If Dave Chappelle came to the show and loved it, maybe he could help Jason move up in the comedy world and get his special on Netflix or HBO. Jason knows it's a long shot. Chappelle must get tons of letters and cards, hopeful comedians throwing him a message in a bottle, not knowing where they'll land or if they'll ever be opened. Maybe Chappelle reads it, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe he throws it in a drawer and he finds it 10 years later. And at that point, I'm that guy. Next time on First Day Back. So I'm sitting there and I turned to D at one point and I grabbed her hand and I told her I'm scared. And then I just started talking to God out loud. I said, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God, please take this away. Take this away. And I'm saying, 
if you can just let me see my kids tomorrow morning. Like, because then in my mind, like if I can make it tomorrow morning and I can see them get up and I can take them to summer camp and it's a regular day, I know that I've gotten past this. First Day Back is reported and produced by me, Tally Abacassis, and Mark George. The show is edited by Mary Beth Kirshner, and our executive producers are Suzanne Reber and Ellen Weiss. Sound design and score by David Herman, and fact-checking by Aisha Bagshi. First Day Back is a production of the Scripps Washington Bureau and Stitcher. Our executive producers at Stitcher are Jenny Radelit and Chris Bannon. You can find First Day Back on Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear ad-free episodes of First Day Back only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month trial, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code FIRST. If you like First Day Back, don't forget to rate and review it on the Apple Podcast app. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Talia Bacassis, and you can find me on Twitter at Talia Bacassis or on our website, firstdayback.com. Thanks for listening, and talk to you next week. <laughs>